Welcome to the Evil Done Badly podcast. If you're looking for an insightful, intelligent, mature, true crime podcast, this is not the fucking one for you because we have no idea what we're doing. We have no budget and we're probably the most useless people on the internet. So if that sort of thing appeals to you, welcome aboard and uh, cue the intro music, which we don't have. So we'll just make it up right here on the spot. Yeah. Now let's get on with the show. Today's show is about Ed Gein. He's a pretty famous fella. You've probably heard all about him, but you've never heard his story quite as ass backwards as you're going to right now. So brace yourself and let's go. Edward Theodore Gein, born on August 26, 1906, became known as the Butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield Ghoul around his hometown of Plainfield, Wisconsin, mainly because of the heinous crimes he committed. He killed at least two people, possibly more, and exhumed a bunch of corpses from local graveyards and made shit out of them. So he's a little fucked up, and let's look into his childhood, shall we? Ed was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and he was the second of two boys. He had an older brother named Henry. His dad was named George. And his mother was named Augusta Wilhelmina. Now, it shouldn't come as any big surprise, but Augusta, she took it upon herself to uh, teach her sons, Ed and Henry, about the, you know, <laughs> the all-encompassing immorality of the world. Like, the world's fucked up. It's a stupid place. And try not to get involved in it if you can. Drinking is evil. And all women are sluts. They are promiscuous temptresses of the devil. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'm no child psychologist here now. but uh, And I never was even though I'm not one now. I don't think that's a recipe for a uh, well-adjusted upbringing. She spent every afternoon reading to them from the Bible, usually selecting verses from the Book of Revelation. And Book of Revelation is the good one. I mean, that's the one with all the death and destruction in it. And uh, on top of that, she hated her husband. She probably had plenty of reason to, because he was an alcoholic who couldn't keep a job. Okay, he was a useless fucker, and, uh, you know, he bore her two kids, and how about that? You know, I'm stuck with these two kids, and I got an asshole for a husband. Okay. Now, I mean, the husband worked at various times. He was a carpenter, an insurance salesman. Oh, my God. Okay, so he's a complete waste of life altogether. And uh, 
He did, however, own a local grocery shop. But that didn't work out, and uh, he sold the business and left the city to live in isolation on a 155-acre farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin, with your uh, nutty mother and... uh, no money, and we're just going to be on the farm. And if you're lucky, you'll have some animals to talk to and stuff. It's not looking good for old Ed here, and anybody who uh, runs across him, I guess. And especially his brother, so uh, we'll get to that. The farm was very isolated and not job religious freak. Augusta took advantage of the isolation and sent away anybody who might have come along with any kind of influence from the outside world where normal people might have been. And they really kind of got drilled with the religious stuff. So, um... It's looking worse and worse for old Ed here all the time. He did get to leave the farm to attend school. So that's not too bad. At least he got out of there. But he unfortunately always came home to his mom and his alcoholic dad. When he wasn't at school, what do you think he was doing? Yeah, he was uh, milking goats and spanking cows and stuff like that and doing general chores around the farm. If that won't make you bitter, I don't know what will. By all accounts, he was a shy, awkward child. And uh, I can totally relate to that because, well, I'm here doing this and I'm quite awkward while doing it. Imagine how I do in real human interactions. It's not pretty. Anyway, back to Ed. He was shy. His classmates and teachers remembered him as having strange mannerisms, such as seemingly random laughter, as if he was laughing at his own personal jokes. I mean, what? Since when is laughing at your own jokes a problem? I mean, nobody else is going to laugh at him. If I don't laugh at my own jokes, I mean, you know, keeps me happy. But uh, I'm not very well adjusted. So uh, I can kind of relate to Ed there. And uh, to uh, fuck things up even worse, Augusta would punish him whenever he tried to make friends. It's just like, no, no, you're not allowed to talk to the outside world. The outside world is a bad influence. It'll fuck you up. Okay, Mom, so what am I supposed to do? Sit here and bang farm animals and, you know, milk cows all day? Yes. You're supposed to do whatever the Bible tells you to do. And that's kill your brother, which is exactly what happens. Along the way, (laughs) without too many spoilers... He kills his brother, but it's not really confirmed because they're clearing brush by burning it because it's shitty brush. And, well, you can't have a 
good you need you need good brush so you got to get rid of the shitty brush and i guess in the 19 early 20th century burning brush was the best alternative anybody had it's beverage on and after the brush burning incident he reports his brother missing and he goes to look for his brother he doesn't but he does take the authorities to look for his brother and they find him and when they find him poor fuckers did and it's ruled an accident as in like oh this young man was burning brush and had a heart attack of course he did that happens to young men who burn brushes all the time but it was incredibly fishy because ed reported a missing oh that's a good beverage ed reported him missing and then led the authorities right to the body and when they found the body it didn't look like no heart attack there was bruises found and it seemed like he'd been there a while so there you go he most likely killed his brother just like the bible i'm told that the uh cain and abel story is a lot like it and that's adam and eve's kids who kill each other so it's like adam and eve come out they're generation one Cain and Abel come out, they're generation two, and they fucking kill each other. So, right after, like, okay, so the two purest human beings ever to walk the planet, according to the Bible, have babies, and these babies fucking kill each other. What chance do we have? We're a billion generations into it. We're totally fucked up. And I mean, if you got your brothers and your sisters, they had to fuck each other to produce more generations. So why are we not all completely inbred mutants who make no fucking sense? Whatever. I mean, that's too deep for me to go into, but what a fucking wacky story that is. Jesus Christ. Where was I? Oh, yeah. And his dad died of heart failure caused by alcoholism so he's a complete loser altogether but he did live to 66 so he he had a good fucking run and then after that while his brother was still alive they would do odd jobs around town and oddly enough ed ed really enjoyed babysitting <laughs> and wow you know uh single you know teenage 20 something man who enjoys babysitting that's a recipe for disaster yeah no um i got a feeling ed's been isolated on a farm and he likes babysitting i wouldn't be hiring him so ed most likely killed his brother and now his losery dad is dead he lived to 66. He was an alcoholic. 
back in the day, I'd say he did pretty good. But that's neither here nor there. Ed's now stuck with his mom. And his mom is getting old and has a stroke. So she's useless. So poor Ed has to uh, wipe her ass and give her baths and stuff. You know, normal stuff that you have to do with decrepit old people. And uh, that can't be great. You can't be totally well-adjusted after having all this shit happen to you. But, I mean, you know, if he didn't kill his brother, he'd still have his fucking brother. So it's partly his fault. He's an asshole, too. Anyway, Smith has a dog. And he's a real cunt to the dog, and he beats it. And a woman comes out and tells him, you should stop doing that because you're a cunt. There's no reason to beat that dog. And, well, I'm going to be on the dog side here and say Smith is a cunt. Okay, Smith's a cunt. But there's a woman here. And she does. She thinks Smith is a cunt, too. And, yep, she's dead on the money. But this only infuriates Smith. And Smith beats the dog even harder, and the dog dies. And for some reason... Ed and his mom witnessed this. They witnessed the whole thing. And Augusta, Ed's mom, is quite pissed off at the whole thing because Smith, the dog-beating cunt, has a woman in his house who's, who's not married to him. This fucker beat a dog to death, and she's upset that he has a woman in his house who she's not married to. And she, of course, calls this woman, you know, whatever the equivalent of slut and skank is, uh, a harlot, which is, you know, the antiquated word for prostitute. Anyway, she got all worked up, and soon after that, she had a second heart attack. And it's probably for the best. After she has this... Uh, it wasn't a heart attack, dumbass. You've had too many beverages. Anyway, she had a stroke. And she went downhill like old decrepit people do. And died in 1945. Well, Ed's having a pretty poor run of luck here. And his mom's dead. His dad's dead. His older brother's dead, and he's devastated. He's downright destroyed because he lost his only friend, being his mom. And now he's absolutely alone in the world. Boy, this is a recipe for fucking disaster. So you, you see what he's working with here. Let's get on with the crime part. This episode is brought to you by Dickie's Wieners. Go get them as fast as you can. They go in your mouth. They fit in your hand. Now back to the show. It should be noted right about here that uh, after his mom died, and, well, once your mom dies, and you're a perfectly virile adult male human being, what else are you supposed to do? But, uh... You live on a farm, and you take up reading. And 
what kind of wholesome material do you think Ed took up reading? Well, he gravitated towards the uh, pulp magazines and adventure stories. And unsurprisingly, he uh, really took to the ones involving cannibals and Nazis. So he was uh, pretty sheltered, and he had very few influences, and the influences were not the most savory. So you can see where this is going. On the morning of November 16, 1957, a Plainfield hardware store owner named Bernice Warden went missing. It's uh, unusual for the hardware store owner to be missing in a place where, you know, everybody knows everybody. Everybody has a tractor. Everybody needs hardware. And where else are you going to go but to the neighborhood hardware store where dear old Bernice Warden works? And so this was really out of the ordinary. And a neighbor also uh, reported there was uh, another fishy happening going on. And somebody had absconded with the hardware store's truck around 9.30 a.m. So what the fuck is going on here? Now, Bernice Warden's son decides to drop by around 5 p.m. and just to check out things and see what the big fuss is about. You know, it's not every day a hardware store owner goes missing. So uh, he comes by and the store's cash register is open. It's like, okay, that's that's not fucking good. And upon further inspection, there was blood stains found on the floor. Like, holy shit, something is up. I mean, you know, this is not looking good for Bernice. So Frank tells the uh, investigators that um he looks through the records of the store and their bookkeeping was right on point and find that Ed Gein was more or less the last person in the store. And he was buying some antifreeze. And, well, where else do you start but the last guy that was in the store? So let's look into this Ed Gein guy. They find him. They find him at a grocery store, which is probably, you know, not that much of a stretch. And they arrest him. And then... All hell breaks loose when they uh, go in and search the Gein farm. Dear old Ed had been quite busy. And upon first look, they found Warden's decapitated body in a shit. Not only was it decapitated, she was hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. And the torso was apparently dressed out like a deer. I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds quite fucking yucky. She had been shot with a 22 caliber rifle and was dead when all the mutilations were made. So at least there's that. She wasn't mutilated while she was still conscious, so... That's a very small consolation for how gruesome this is. And once they uh, did a thorough search of the house, they uh, found quite a few more very disgusting things. Not only did they find the mutilated body of Bernice Warden at the Gein firm, they also came across the head of Mary Hogan. 
who was a tavern operator that had disappeared in 1954. So there you go. We've got at least two murders attributed to Ed himself. That's Mary Hogan and Bernice Warden. May they rest in peace. They had to suffer greatly at the hands of this monster. But holy shit, it gets even fucking weirder than just having two dead people with no heads. Let's get in there and take a look at this shopping list of crap that they found. When they searched the house, authorities found whole human bodies and fragments, a trash can made out of human skin, chair seats upholstered with human skin, bed posts adorned with human skulls, some extra female skulls with the tops sewn off, sewn, no, sawn off, you know what I mean, told you we were incompetent. Bowls made from human skulls. A corset made from a female torso skin from shoulders to waist. Leggings made from human leg skin. Masks made from the skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag and her skull was in a different box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack and her heart in a plastic bag in front of the potbelly stove, so you can infer from that what you will. Nine volve in a shoebox. You'll notice nine is a lot more than two. So where did the rest of the volve come from? A young girl's dress and the volvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. A belt made from a no, <laughs> a belt made from female human nipples, four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from a human face, and fingernails from female fingers. So these were collected and photographed at the crime lab and were decently disposed of with, I guess, as much dignity, with as much dignity as you can get at this point. So, wow. Now, where did all the extra stuff come from? We know he's killed two, but there's no evidence that he killed any more, not at the moment anyway. Uh, so where did the rest of this stuff come from? Well, he admitted to stealing from nine graves out of the local cemeteries. And he took the investigators to their locations. So he seemed pretty forthright once he got caught. And uh, <laughs> they uh, were kind of skeptical at first because single-handedly digging up all these fucking graves is a shitload of work. But uh, no, his story checked out and he he's one hell of a grave digger. Well, grave, reverse grave digger, I guess, because he's the exhumer. And uh, he liked to uh, get them after, shortly after they were buried, because they would be slightly fresher. But uh, he says that he never, ever 
had sex with him because they smelled too bad. So I guess, you know, he has his uh he has his limits to the depravity. But this is all still pretty fucking gross and what the fuck? Upon being arrested, Gein would also be considered a suspect in several other unsolved cases in Wisconsin, including the 1953 disappearance of Evelyn Hartley, who just happened to be a babysitter. During questioning, Washera County Sheriff Arch Slay reportedly assaulted Gein by smacking his head and face into a brick wall. As a result, Gein's initial confession was ruled inadmissible. So all the fucked up shit that he claimed to have done, we can't count that anymore because Arch Slay couldn't keep his cool. And I don't think anybody's going to really blame him for that because, wow, what a pile of shit to walk in on. And he was, uh, by all accounts, pretty traumatized. So, during the trial in 1957, he was arraigned on first-degree murder, and he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia, found mentally incompetent, and sent to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane, and was later transferred to the Mendota State Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. In 1968, doctors claimed that Gein got better. Not really better, but he was mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. The trial began on November 7, 1968, and lasted one week. It should be noted that before the trial commenced in 1968, Arthur Schley, the investigator, died of a heart failure at age 43. Many who knew him said that the the horrific trauma he suffered based on the discovery of Gein's crimes, along with his fear of having to testify and, well, his having to justify his smacking Gein around, caused his death. One of his friends even went so far to say as he was a victim of Ed Gein as surely as if he had butchered him, end quote. And yes, that is totally reasonable. There is no way that amount of stress is good for you. Eric Schley, you did pretty good. I you lasted way longer. You held up way better than I would have done. And I salute you. So back to the one week long trial. A psychiatrist testified that Gein had told him he didn't know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or not. He gave him some bullshit nonsense about pretending to play with the test out the gun or something and didn't mean to kill her. Well, if that's the case, why did you drag her home and chop her all up, you fucking wacko? Anyway, he's found guilty of one charge of first-degree murder, and they didn't bother to do another one because of the prohibitive cost and, I guess, just the inconvenience of having to do it but they figured you know he's going to be locked away for the rest of his life anyway they found him guilty they deemed him insane and they stuck him away in asylum until he died at the age of 77 so what became of Gein's farmhouse well the government wanted to get rid of everything so they decided to auction everything off 
because uh, they didn't want people hanging around. You know, the morbidly curious kind of weird people who are into that sort of thing probably would have flocked there and started looting and stuff anyway. But it officially, accidentally burned down because of some stray brush fires or something like that. But Harrison strongly suspected. And did they really bother to look into it? I don't think they did because, well, it was much easier to just let the place burn and be done with it. But they did get rid of his car, the same car that he lugged bodies around in. They sold it to Carnival Sideshow operator Bunny Gibbons, and he was charging people 25 cents to see it which is probably a fuckload of money back then, just to see a smelly old car that dragged around dead, stinking corpses. But you know, you gotta make a buck one way or another. Ed Gein's story has had a lasting effect on popular culture. He props up in music, books, movies, even to this day. The fascinatingly, brutally disgusting Disgusting story was the inspiration behind, most notably, Norma Bates in Psycho, Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Buffalo Bill from the Silence of the Lambs movie. So as far as serial killers go, and we're not entirely sure if he actually even qualifies by a strict definition of a serial killer, his notoriety is almost unmatched, and we will likely be hearing about him until the end of time. So thanks for joining us here on the inaugural episode of Evil Done Badly. If you've made it this far, you know that, yep, the story was evil, and we did it quite poorly. So uh, we live up to our namesake. And if you uh, want to get in contact with us and maybe suggest something else we can do pitifully, uh, you can reach us at eviledonebadly at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. And we will still have no budget, no skills, and no theme music. See you next time!